Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends with bad ankles out there. This is episode number 18 of the Datitude Podcast for November 3rd, 2021. What's up with Mike and Zion? We'll get to that in a minute. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at The Advocate, The Times Picayune, and bet.nola.com. And my question, again, is what is up with you, Mike Thomas and Zion Williamson? I mean, did... Did y'all go catch some kind of ankle disease at a Halloween party? I guess an Easter party. Breaking news this morning, although it's not really breaking news. I mean, is anyone surprised Mike Thomas is not going to play this season? I mean, really. Are you surprised that Mike Thomas is... The man got paid. Zion Williamson. Charles Barkley, the round man of rebound, looks like, said last night, it looks like him and Shaq had a baby. A big old fat baby. Zion Williamson. Not even close to any kind of play in shape. I said a month ago, whether, when would we see Zion? And people scoffed when I said, Maybe Thanksgiving, and maybe he's in playing shape by Christmas. That was way too optimistic. You got to wonder if he's going to be on the court at all this season. I'm serious. We know now Mike Thomas is not going to play this year. And you know what? Maybe the Saints are better without him. And you can say, what are you talking about? Mike Thomas. Mike Thomas is turning out to be one of those players who got paid and just don't care. It is what it is. You see it all the time. I said it when they paid him that money. I said it a month ago. I said it yesterday, and I'll say it again today. You don't pay wide receivers that kind of money. You just don't. Wide receivers, except for a very, very few are close to a dime a dozen. And if you got a really good coach, he can turn an average receiver into a really good one. And if you got a good coach, he can turn a really good receiver into an elite receiver. And you can find him. And the Saints are 5-2 and two without Mike Thomas and without Drew Brees, and they beat Tampa Bay with Trevor Simeon as quarterback, and Sean Payton is that damn good. They don't need Mike Thomas, and you paid him too much money. And now you're suffering in salary cap hell because the dude's ankles got a boo-boo. And I know ankles are a lingering thing, but they don't linger this long. Get the damn surgery, and you're back. But you didn't want to come back. You didn't want to get the surgery because you didn't care. And I'm not feeling sorry for you because you're saying whatever it is on Twitter. It is what it is. You did not work to come back, 
and now everyone's paying the dividend. It's not dividends. You're losing money. Just think what the Saints could have done with that money. I mean, think about it. What could the Saints have done with the dozens of millions of dollars that they're having to pay Mike Thomas? And now what do you do? No one wants him. We don't know when he's coming back. You can't get anything for him, probably. You're stuck. And the Saints are stuck. I mean, even if they caught him, and I'm, I'm not uh, a, a budget or a salary cap expert, so I don't even know how much it helps you if you cut him. I mean, it probably helps a little bit, but it's, it's not going to help enough. And the Saints are in salary cap hell. And they're going to have to figure some things out because going into next year, and I'm not, you know, you can't, I'm not writing off this year. I think they're still a good team. They're a playoff team. But now that Jameis is gone, I mean, you can't expect them to be a Super Bowl team if you want to be realistic. They just aren't. That's what they are. They're a playoff team probably. Actually, hopefully, I guess at this point, we'll see what Taysom Hill can do, but we've seen what he can do in the past. Sure, he went 2-2 two and two as a starter. But if you're thinking Taysom Hill is going to be as good as Jameis Winston was, Conductor Dave, and whoever else is on the Taysom Choo Choo bandwagon, you got another thing coming. Taysom Hill is not Jameis Winston. And that's not a good thing. We'll see. And Zion. Dude, stop eating Twinkies. Stop sitting behind the bench when your team is blowing a 20-point lead and laughing it up with B.I., who also isn't playing. Your team sucks. And a major reason because they suck is because you ain't working. It ain't cool. We'll get to all that in just a few minutes, but just my thoughts on this whole situation, the two main news items of the day after the Pelicans blow, uh, I don't know, what was the lead, 20 at one point? I know they went into the fourth quarter with a six-point lead and lost by 12. And this season is not going in the tubes. It's well deep into the bowels of the tubes. They're not coming back out of this. I know I'm watching um, a local TV show last night. And they're talking about, well, you know, there are 10 spots. They could still come back and make the play. They're not making the playoffs. This team's not going to win 30 games. It's going to be a dumpster fire again. David Griffin will be fired when the season's over. I feel sorry for Willie Green. Because I think he's got a lot of promise as a coach. But he's got a bunch of no-name young dudes who really should be figuring out how to play this game instead of being thrust into the limelight. You got a guy in Jackson Hayes who hasn't figured anything out, and I'm not sure anybody's tried to teach him anything before this year. It's a mess. The Pelicans are an absolute mess. They, they are not going in the right direction. And, I mean, really, when are they going to go in the right direction? Also, yesterday, the college football playoff pairings 
not pairings, rankings were announced. Big shocker there. I'm just full of good news today, aren't I? I mean, shocker. I mean, Georgia's number one and obviously well-deserved. Nobody's beating Georgia this year, so who cares anyway? Alabama number two. Are you surprised? I mean, come on. They're Alabama. I mean, they lost to Texas A&M. Where's Texas A&M in those rankings? I didn't go down far enough to find them once I got past Wake Forest at nine. But I know this. If you're talking about true rankings and you're just going, like, these are rankings. I mean, if you don't think this is all about money, you haven't been paying attention to anything. I mean, I actually had a couple friends last night texting me how this is awful, it's horrible, it's absurd. It's about money. They don't care who the best four teams are. They're not going to care who the best four teams are a month from now. It's not about that. If Alabama wins out and plays SEC and plays Georgia in the SEC championship game and loses by less than probably 10 points, they're going to be in. If they go through and they lose by less than a touchdown, not only are they going to be in, but they're going to put them at two or three, probably three, to make it look good. So they won't have to play Georgia the national championship game. Because this is not really a year where you necessarily want um, a Michigan State or an Ohio State to play Georgia in the championship game. Let them play in the, in the first round. You want Alabama if you can get them there. Although I'm not sure Alabama would beat Ohio State or Michigan. Well, they'd probably beat Michigan State. Who knows? But Michigan State's three, and you look at Michigan State, they beat Michigan, great, they're still undefeated, I don't have a problem with them at three. But Oregon four, get real, get real. The Pac-12 is awful, and Oregon is slightly better than a good team. And you got Cincinnati at 6-0 and or 8-0 or whatever the hell they are. And I've talked about this with Zach, and I'm, I can't wait to talk to him about it. We recorded our segment before I got to this, before we had the college football playoff pairings come out, our rankings. I keep saying pairings. But I'll talk to him about it tomorrow on At The Book. I told you. They don't care about Cincinnati if they're undefeated. They can finish 12-0. and They don't care. Cincinnati's not going to the playoffs unless some fluky things happen. I think their chances of going to the playoffs at best are 50-50 right now. And I'm saying they're at best 50-50 if they went out. They're at best they're 50-50. Something fluky is going to have to happen. Ohio State, Michigan State, one of those is getting in. So is Oregon going to lose? I don't know. Do they leave Oregon where they are? Probably. If they don't lose, probably. And Ohio State, if they beat Michigan State, you better believe that they're leapfrogging Oregon and they'll be in the three spot. So fluky things have to happen for Cincinnati to get in. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, Again, our show's on bet.nola.com. Mondays, odds and ends, we had uh, Trey Wingo on this past Monday. If you missed it, 
uh, go check it out. He had a lot of good things to say. And, um, you know, I, it, it, was, it was an interesting segment. Let's just say that. So go back and, and watch that. You can see that on bet.nola.com on Tuesdays is the Fantasy Roundup with Zach and Spencer, the guru, Urquhart. And then on Thursdays, like I said, you got to watch at the book. Cashing in with the Carvel segment is always good. And then Devin Jackson, Zach, and myself, we're, uh, we're on there as well. Um, talking about our picks for the weekend. And I've been pretty good the past few weeks. I stunk up the joint the first few weeks, so I'm I'm trying to catch up. And I and I, the, I had the one week where like I, we had this big buck segment. If you haven't seen it, where we get two thousand imaginary advocate dollars to start. Um, not real money, but you know you have to. In your mind, it's real money. You don't want to embarrass yourself. So you know the first couple of weeks I did pretty bad. And I think it was week four or something along those lines. I'm like, you know, I'm going to catch up. I'm going to have these great bets. And I'm like betting stuff that I would never really bet in real life. And, I, and that was just dumb. One of those on tilt, trying to go after bad money. Like things you do, in, you do in real life as a gambler sometimes. If you're betting, sometimes you do go chase bad money. And you throw like more money than you would normally throw. So I got into like this huge giant hole kind of like the one that Mike Thomas and Zion are in right now. And I've been trying to climb out of there, like betting like a normal person, like if it's real money, the past three, four weeks, and I've been doing a lot better. So I'm almost out of the hole. Not quite. We had another really good week. So check that the book show out on Thursdays. I want to get to my first guest, uh, David Grubb. Very good conversation. Uh, we talk about the Saints we talk about the Pelicans and we talk about the college football playoff, all the things that I've mentioned, but he has an interesting take. David is a lot more politically correct than I am. He's a much nicer guy than I am, too. But he'll tell you like it is, like he thinks it is. But he'll do it with just a little bit of, I guess, a little less rough edge. Because we don't need rough edge all the time, right? I mean, I know the show's called Datitude now, but they don't just want to, I mean, you don't want to just hear me be a jerk for an hour and a half. That's why we bring on good guests. Our first great guest of the day, and we'll have another one following. Here on the Datitude Podcast, David Grubb, host of Crunch Time on ESPN's 103.7 FM and host of the Bird Calls Podcast. Is there anything to talk about today, Dave? Not much, you know. <laughs> I mean, it seems like every morning we wake up to some kind of breaking news, and now... Um, We'll get to the breaking news about Michael Thomas in a minute, but, you know, I, I was thinking as we were about to get started, it's like, you know, the, arguably the, I mean, really, now that Drew Brees is gone, the faces of, the, of our two local pro sports franchises are now indefinitely injured, and who knows when they'll come back. Um, you know, we talked about it earlier, one of the last time we talked, it's been almost a month now, I think, since we talked, but Zion Williamson, I mean... You know, we thought it was a good game, maybe two games. And then, you know, I said I didn't think he was coming back till Thanksgiving or Christmas. And now who knows when he's going to come back. And what's interesting to me is that finally you're starting to see national media um, ask the same questions that we 
should have been asking of David Griffin all along. We should have been asking of the organization all along. And then quite frankly, we should have been asking of Zion Williamson all along. Um, you know, he has a part of this as, as, as the organization does. And I, big is a funny word to use, I guess. But it's a big part of this is just, like you said, for both organizations right now, for, for one, you're missing your faces, because, uh, the face of your franchise because what it seems is some level of incompetence. For the Saints, it just feels like, man, it's been this avalanche of bad luck, this avalanche of things really that nice. just has not gone right. And at the same time, you look at those two circumstances, and one, you have the Saints who are five and two and flourishing almost, right. you know, amongst the, the you know ranked among the top ten teams in the NFL, and then you have the Pelicans on the other hand who are about to go through what looks like another wasted season. The Saints beat. Tampa Bay with Trevor Simeon. I would have yes. bet a lot of money that that wasn't going to happen. I mean, I had picked the Saints last week, but that was, I mean, I had no idea Jameis was going to be gone in the second quarter. Um, I don't think if I would have known Jameis was going to be out that I would have picked Trevor Simeon uh, to, to beat him. So, yeah, weirdness going on. I don't know. Did you see the, the what, did you hear what, what the round mound rebound said last night? I absolutely did. And I, I mean, remember before before we go on, it's just so if people are listening and they didn't hear this. And it's, it's this I quote, I had, I had to get this one for you. <laughs> Zion is so big and out of shape that he looks like Shaq and I, Charles Barkley, had a baby. <laughs> I mean, the round man of rebound is talking about somebody else being fat. And, and he's I mean, right. He, look, Charles told him, and I think what, what what people forget is that, remember, uh, you know, it was a huge, again, these words are so funny, because it was a big story. I remember at the time, I was a kid, but Charles Barkley was somebody who I knew of. Um, and coming out of the I remember reading the stories about how he decided he was just going to get fat. And Charles, like, <laughs> ate himself up like 50 because he didn't want to pull for Philly. And, you know, he gets up getting drafted by Philly. Most of them told him you were fat. He says you're fat and you're lazy. If you want to have a career, get in shape. And it's it. like, you know, watching um, Animal House. Fat and lazy is no way to go through life. Right. Uh, you know, fat, lazy, stupid is no way to go through life, Fred. Um, but, but it's worked for me, David. I, I, you know, I'm fat and lazy. <laughs> it works for me. I mean, but I don't have to play just, basketball. Yes. And you don't have to put that kind of force on your body. And, you know, we talked about this before. I think we're just all the injuries have been on the same side of his body. They've all been what you would call stress-related injuries, whether it's your hamstring, your knee, or your foot. Those are all stress and, and, and pressure-related injuries. And you just wonder. It's like, yeah, you never want to blame a guy for getting hurt, but control what you can control. And Zion can control his weight. And, and, he, and I think Charles is right to call him out for it. Um, but I think the Pelicans, somebody does have to be the adult in the room and say, dude, you're the, you're, we brought you here to be the key to this franchise, and you've missed two-thirds of the games you've been eligible for. People forget sometimes that he is a 21-year-old kid. And 21-year-old kids, I don't care how much money you're making or what you're doing for a living, they don't have control. I mean, I have a 23-year-old son who might as well be 16. And he's got a real job, and he's got a family already, and he's got his own house, and he's got a kid, and he still acts like a 16-year-old kid. I mean, 21-year-olds just don't 
they don't get it. And somebody needs to, if this is going to be the face of your franchise, you, you, like you said, I mean, somebody needs to stand up and tell this dude, stop eating Twinkies. And if Griff is, is you know, if they, you, know, you hear the stories that Griffin might be afraid of how his family's going to react to things or they're trying to appease Zion, you're not doing him any favors but if this is what you're doing for him, if what you're doing is coddling him to the point where he loses his career, if he ends up like Greg Oden, or if he ends up like somebody right. else, you know, or for people who are a little more local uh, memory, John Hot Plate Williams from oh, LSU, yeah. you know, like there are people, we've seen it. We've seen Robert Trailer, we've seen Liddell Eccles, we've seen guys locally who could not could keep their, their you know weight under control and get the kind of careers maybe that they should have. And you don't want a guy as talented as Zion Williamson to be the next. Liddell Eccles, that brings back memories. Um, yeah. you know, I went to UNO and uh, I tell you what, if that if that dude had any, any control, he would have been one heck of an NBA player. The score he was. I know. Score. And it's a shame. But, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, it's, I don't know what's going to happen with Zion going forward. You know, I might have to push back my timetable. I, I said I thought he would be at least on the court by Thanksgiving and maybe be at full strength by Christmas. I think i got to push that back at least a month. I mean, and now with the Pelicans' awful start and last night, just, I mean, watching them play against the Suns, it, it was brutal. I mean, they take this big lead with a bunch of no-names. B.I.'s not in there either. And play fairly well for quite a while and then do what they, they usually do it in the third quarter, but it started, the fall started a little bit in the third quarter. But, I mean, to, to, to lose by 18 points in the fourth quarter, you're up by six and you lose by 12, which just happened, so happened to be the spread, by the way. But you are up by six, going into the fourth quarter and lose by 12. I mean, to me... That, that those things can't happen. I feel really bad for Willie Green because I think he's he's been set up um, for failure in, in a large degree. Um, he doesn't have the horses, and even if he did have the horses, they're all colts. They're kids. They're yeah. too young. They don't know what to do in pressure situations. And he doesn't have real leadership out there on the court. You know, Ingram and, and Zion are sitting on the side, and you question both of their leadership anyway, but you certainly are at a deficit with them sitting on the sideline. Jackson Hayes hasn't grown up at all. No. You know what I mean? Like, he has, in year three, he doesn't look like he's figured anything out. Nikhil Alexander-Walker has been bad in each of the last six games after having two good games to start the season. He's been bad offensively. Um this is a team that just it's not smart enough to get out of its own way. So it has to play hard the entire game. And that's impossible for anybody to give you 48 minutes of complete aggression and, and all out effort. No one can do that. It's unsustainable. And when they can't sustain that effort, they, they get sloppy. They're just not a smart enough basketball team, whether either it be by experience or by, um, knowledge of each other, having not played together enough, or just talent level, um, they're not good enough in enough areas to overcome their mistakes. And you saw a team in in Phoenix that has, has been, you know, looking for, to find its way, but you don't you don't let a guy like Javale McGee get 18 points in 18 minutes. You don't let that happen. Not when you've got Devin Booker playing terribly for 42 minutes and doesn't get hot until the last you know final stretch of the game. 
they allowed Chris Paul to, and, and, and I have people, as I say, well, it's Chris Paul is a Hall of Famer. You know his spots, though. And right. if you know that he's the one guy on court you have to stop, I'm not going to let him take the shots. I'm going to make him give it to somebody else who's less effective than Chris Paul. But he was shooting wide-open mid-range jump shots. And it's just, I know Willie's frustrated. I mean, you know, he's working with young players. But, you know, we got 74 more games of this. 74 more games. And if you think they're going to win more than 35 now, if that's 35 seems high at this point. You know, so it's bad that for another Pelican season, which you're talking about it being over before Thanksgiving. You know, David Grubb here on the Datitude podcast, but, you know, I wrote before the season began that – I thought the under 38 wins was a steal, and I got a little grief for it. But uh, it all stems from, look, the, the Pelicans weren't straight up with us from the beginning. We, we've talked about this. Um, you could say whatever you want. I mean, Zion just, we knew that he was, you could just look at him and tell he wasn't going to be. Once they told us about the injury, you're like, oh, now it makes sense. But I don't know if he's using it as an excuse not to do things that he needs to do or he's not working hard enough or or the the organization's not making him work hard enough. But, you know, you see things that, that just kind of frustrated me, like last night, and Zion aside, I mean, you talk about Jackson Hayes. I mean, I watch him. He gets a ball about 16 feet from the rim, and nobody's around him. And so instead of looking to pass, still plenty of time on the shot clock, he jacks one up. And it clanks off the rim, and I don't remember who said it, but I'm, I'm th- I was thinking the same thing when it was said, like, "Oh, they'll give him that all night long." Well, of course they will. I mean, he's he's not developing uh, at all, it seems to me, and it, and it seems to me that you know, by this point, and it's not Willie Green's fault; he's only eight games into his n- new career here, but there was no development of him going into this. And you talk about Alexander Walker; I don't see him getting better either. Um, I like what I see from Devontae Graham, but he's new here. Um, so I really worry about – uh, it's almost like we've wasted two years of, of development of this franchise. From, And I guess that goes back to the GM. Are, you know, the whole political statement. Are you better off than you were when such and such came into office? And the Pelicans are not better off than they were when David Griffin came into office. He's the – the team is still middling at best, and now it's probably more of an embarrassment nationally than it's ever been. The whole Anthony Davis thing was one thing. That's that's at least you made the playoffs twice with Anthony Davis. At least you made moves to that seemed like they were an attempt. You know what I mean? But three years into having Zion Williamson, everything feels like a disaster, and that's the whole thing. Is everything feels like it's gone as bad as it could possibly go. It doesn't feel like you have any reason to feel like, man, if they get up to it, get it going, they can make the playoffs this season. You have no belief in that. You don't have any feeling like it's going to be like the Atlanta Hawks and turn it around or the Knicks and turn it around or something like that. You look and you look at Memphis and you're envious of what they have in Memphis. You know what I mean? That's where Pelicans fans are at this point. You're, you're, you're looking at teams like Charlotte and Memphis. Maybe I should be a fan of those young teams because those franchises seem to have an idea of where they're going. And the Pelicans just seem to be spinning in the middle of the lake. And it's just sad because the talent has been there. The opportunities have been there. And whether it's by just 
David Griffin being just a huge mistake or just a, an incredible run of bad luck. This franchise is just in a in a poor poor position going forward, and um yeah I feel the guy I feel most for is Willie Green because he didn't ask for this man he he wanted a job he thought he was on the verge of something and he didn't ask for this he'll <laughs> be fine <clears throat> he'll be fine they're they're not doing anything with him anytime soon but he he definitely has his work out for him you talk about AD and those teams that went to the playoffs and you know that last team that went to the playoffs boy you really felt like. They were on the right track then. You know what the difference is? And I hate to belabor this point. I say this at least once a week. So here's my shot. Monty Williams. We had Monty Williams. It, that's what the difference was. <laughs> you know, like said, As you, you can tell, I like Monty Williams a lot. I really, I mean, I, I miss the dude. And I There's think no- that the whole trajectory <laughs> of the franchise changed when he left. And, and you know, those are those kind of decisions that, and people forget that's an AD decision. His dad did not want money around. And, and and you make those short-sighted decisions on behalf of players, and I think you end up hurting your team. You have to do what's best for the team, trying to save any one player. And I think the Philadelphia 76ers are learning this. That's right. And any You cannot save the franchise for one player. But David, unless that- David, here's the question, though. You knew, I knew, and everybody knew that AD wasn't staying here no matter who you got as coach, no matter – you could have won the NBA championship. AD was not staying here. And so you're going to do – you're going to try to appease him for what? That made no sense. No, it never makes sense. The only – like, the only players that it makes sense for is are the – you know, even Shaq tried to leverage the Lakers, and the Lakers said, nah. That's right. You know what I mean? Like, like Shaq. Anthony Davis ain't Shaq. You know what I mean? And that's right. The Lakers said, we had enough. Bye. We'll move you to Miami. It's it. You cannot sacrifice your organization for any one player. It just doesn't work that way. And I think this, you know, we could draw a parallel. Maybe the saints did that with Drew Brees a little bit and held on a little too long and maybe made some concessions. Maybe, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to be polite, <laughs> but you know, you, when you do those things, you ultimately hurt your team. If you try to do something for one person in particular and try to make it for their benefit and their comfort, the rest of the team is ultimately going to suffer. You have to do what's best for the team. Drew's a little bit tougher of a situation because really, I mean, when you get to that point, I've said this about certain marquee players. I mean, um, you know, being a Cubs fan, I, I, I hated – losing Mark Grace back in the day, but I thought he had earned the right to, to stay And Ryan Sandberg stayed as long as they want. I think Grace should have been traded before he left and Sandberg should have been gone before he left. And in the case of Drew Brees, Drew Brees earned the right to stay as long as he want. But if you're making truly business decisions, like I think that this Saints team does, just think, it, and, and I don't care what they want to say internally, I'm sure this is true. If Drew Brees leaves before last season, Tom Brady's wearing black and gold. The Saints win the Super Bowl last year, and they have an excellent chance to do it again this year. There's zero doubt in my mind that Tom Brady yep. would have been wearing black and gold had Drew Brees left before last year. But- None of my mind. It's just, you're right, though. You, sometimes you do make those decisions. The Lakers made those decisions with Kobe Bryant at the end and said, we'll pay him because we want him to retire here, even if it affects our competitiveness. You can make that decision if you've made the money already. The Pelicans haven't made the money. They don't have the chips on the table for for them to go to the public and say, we can make that decision. 
Drew Brees had that kind of equity with the Bank of New Orleans that he could, you know, that he could have a stinker at the end of the playoffs and people say, okay, that's Drew Brees. He's still golden. He's made. Nobody yeah, you, on the Pelicans. And you can't, you can't argue with, I mean, well, you can argue with it if you want, but I mean, the, the same, it's weird for the Saints because they're really a business driven kind of organization, which is weird because they don't treat the Pelicans that way, but or it doesn't seem to me that they do. But, um, but, you know, you talk about Kobe. I mean, what are you going to do? you going to kick Kobe off? No, you can't. I mean, it, it, it's a tough situation, but I sure would have known what known, would have liked to have known what number 12 would have done here, but that's uh, long gone. Speaking of the Saints and speaking of overpaid guys who aren't playing football, the breaking news this morning, Michael Thomas, and um, now it looks like who, who knows how long it's going to be before he plays. I'm sure this really shocks you that Michael Thomas has found another injury and he I, he's not playing this year. I mean, let's just get, get it out on the table. He's not going to play this year. Yeah, he's been ruled out basically for the season, and it's just it's so eerie that this is the one thing that does parallel the way the Pelicans did this is that we didn't know about the injuries soon enough. But this is for, so much more on the player than it is the organization um, in this case, that Michael Thomas didn't do the things that he probably should have done um, in order to get himself ready to be on the field. And you look at this now, and you're going to be almost what? We're going to be talking essentially two and a half years removed from his best season when the time he does, even if he's back for next season. He got um, paid. And as a receiver, you know, now we, as you look around this league and you see guys, you know, careers topping off, you look at what's happening with Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland and things like that. Man, and you're, he's already, he's going to be almost 30 when he comes back. Like, that's what they about with Michael Thomas. He's going to be almost 30. And, and uh, I mean, the, the timeline is going to be very much different than what you have with the rest of the Saints roster because the defense is getting younger and more aggressive. And, and you know, you have these great uh, – this defense that could probably be strong for another five years. The offense is getting younger too. The line is getting younger. The quarterback certainly is getting younger. The, the rest of the receiving group is getting younger. Michael Thomas, there's not going to be a lot of room for him. The problem is where do you – what do you do with him? What do you do with that money? How do you move on? And the Saints have, have survived this before. But, geez, this is – this is, oh, man. It, they, they've got nothing since he signed that deal. That is why you don't pay receivers that kind of money. You know, I, there's little correlation between fantasy football and real-life football. But in this case, there is. And I'm going to tell you why. In fantasy football – Receivers are a dime a dozen. Even the really, even the Devontae Adams of the world, uh, you can find receivers to make to win fantasy championships with average, average receivers. In real football, with this Saints team, they're proving they can be good with average receivers. I mean, who's the best receiver on this team? Maybe Traquan, I guess, but he's been gone most of the year. I mean, who after that? I mean, Devontae Harris, he missed a game or two with, with a hamstring issue. I mean, it's plug and play for Sean Payton. I mean, it, it, it just goes to show that it, it, in this case, it's a system, and you just don't pay a receiver the kind of money that the Saints paid and tied up 
with Michael Thomas. And now even if they cut him, I mean, he's still going to be a, a huge cap hit for, what, the next six years? And who's going to take him? That's the thing. Right. Like, yeah, you don't want to cut him and, and have that hit because the Saints are going to have other cap hits they have to deal with. We know they're always juggling at the at the edge of the cap. Um, it's It's a shame. Because, you know, all the things we wanted to see, oh, well, Michael Thomas is finally going to be unleashed. He can do all the things that he was able to do at Ohio State. Um, and we get to see if he can be the deep threat, if he can be the second-level guy to, to balance the offense out. And now, with these injuries, are you betting on a 30-year-old receiver to come back with ankle, who's had multiple ankle surgeries? Are you going to bet on that? When we've seen guys who were more physical, who were stronger. And it's not, it's not against Michael Thomas. It's just, this is football. And I'm, I, I'm Oh, you're being politically I, correct. You're trying to be nice to Michael Thomas. I'm, no, I'm saying this is a carnage business. And I'm just saying, uh, you don't want to ever say a guy's not going to make it. because I'm not going to judge an individual man, but I'm going to say the odds. I, I'm not putting money on. I'm not going down to, to Harris and making a bet on him. It's just, it makes no <laughs> sense to do so unless you're playing long shots. But this is a dude 28, and he's having he's had multiple ankle injuries. What at the position where cutting on your you know your feet and your ankles on hard surfaces is what he does the most. So no, I just you've lost him um, as far as I'm concerned. I know because I, I I know you're not gonna go as far as I go, but with this, but you have to question a dude's toughness at some point. I mean, you're playing football and you're talking about ankles. I've seen look, I saw Alvin Kamara. With a, with a high ankle sprain, and high ankle sprains are death knells for running backs for long periods of time. I mean, that's not something you just get over. And I saw Alvin Kamara come back when he shouldn't have come back probably and fought through it because he's just a dude. I mean, this dude wants to play. I mean, he wants to do whatever he can for his team. He's got heart and he's got soul. Michael Thomas, when you keep not coming back at a certain point, and we find other things that are wrong, and you're talking about an ankle. Look, I know ankles. I, I've had ankle issues too, and like I said, I'm a fat dude, so it even hurts even worse when I got to step on mine. But <laughs> when you keep coming up with ankle problems for two years, somebody's got to question this dude and either his toughness or his heart because something's going on behind the scenes, and I don't know what it is, and the Saints aren't going to ever tell us what it is, and that's okay. We don't need, need to know about what's going on behind the scenes. I get that. But, I mean, we need to be up front to know how hurt this dude really is. Or I mean, that's something's going on. I just didn't – I didn't like his statement. Did you read Michael Thomas' statement? I did. That's what – I mean, that's kind of part of the reason what, what – it makes you think something's going on. And I almost because feel a, for the guy in a way. And it may, it, actually, the statement made me feel for the guy. The statement made me made me less inclined to think of this that way because it it was clearly written. Okay, you know, it was clearly written by somebody, someone else. I'm going to go find it while we're talking. But yes. Um, and it, it addressed things in a um, almost in a sequential manner to kind of almost um, remove him from blame. You know, it's like, well, I got injured doing this, and then I worked hard, and then uh, rehab, you know, didn't go as and 
But we're leaving out the details of you didn't show up for rehab when the Saints thought you should have been showing up for rehab. You didn't come I, in for I hate surgery. to interrupt you, Dave, because I, I want you to keep going on your thought. But I do want to read this statement in case there are people out there that don't know what the heck you and I are talking about, because I think it's important okay. to read. I've always, he says on Twitter, I've always been a man of faith in these past few months. My faith has been truly tested. Let me put my glasses on real quick. As many of you know, early last season, I injured my ankle and worked extremely hard over the next few months to get back in time to finish the season. Unfortunately, the rehab didn't go as planned, and earlier this offseason, it was apparent I would need to have a procedure to repair the injury. Since then, the team and I have worked diligently day and night to rehab and get me back on the field. Unfortunately, there has been another small setback, which we will have to address. To my displeasure... I will not be able to make it back in time for this season. We will do everything in my power to get back to the player I have always been. I know God doesn't make mistakes, so I will continue to follow in his path. and can't wait to be back on the field in front of the best fans on the planet. That is from Michael Thomas on Twitter. And I must have only read part of it because I didn't even read the part that said he was, that he was giving up on the season. So, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, like all those things, you know, well, it, it became apparent early in the offseason that I needed a procedure. Well, we knew that. That stuff we knew before the season ended. You remember last season, which everybody said Michael Thomas yeah. is going to need offseason surgery. There was no one, no one who said that that was not the only answer in the offseason. And yet he waited and he didn't talk to the team. So you do this and you make the statement of everything has gone. We've done everything by the book, but it just there's a setback now. I don't we don't buy it because we know that's not what happened. We know the organization said that wasn't what happened. We went through the whole offseason of Michael Thomas hasn't been in contact with the Saints at all. He hasn't been to the facility at all. He hasn't met with the trainers at all. So, yeah, it makes you question. I don't know his toughness, but it certainly makes you question his commitment to the Saints and say whether he wants to be in New Orleans or if he wants to play for the Saints again. I don't know if it's a business decision he's making, if it's a toughness decision or whatever, but I do know he didn't make the best football decision in terms of getting his surgery on time the first time, working with the organization, letting him know where he was in his progress to get back on the field and give the organization the ability to plan for his absence, and now you get to shut it down and keep the money still because you you did what you did. And it's just... It's, it just if you're really hurt, you're hurt. But damn, you should have to do everything. You're supposed to do everything you're supposed to do to get on the field. And I don't think it's the Saints. I don't think it has anything to do with New Orleans or the Saints. I just think it's something with Mike. I mean, it, it, it you know, I don't I don't question his loyalty to the team. I think it's just, you know, you see it quite often. I've seen it throughout covering this team off and on throughout my career. It it's not, He's not the first player to, to get paid and say, oops, I ain't feeling good. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, look, uh, David Grubb here, host of Crunch Time and ESPN, on ESPN's 103.7 and host of the Bird Calls podcast. I, I just don't – it's frustrating to me. I mean, to watch – because this team, to be 5-2 and two with this group, um, it, it's kind of amazing, really. I mean, if, if you look at – they don't toss away the the Giants game. They're, they're winning the NFC South, and uh, they're a half a game ahead of a team that they beat. And 
who has a week off. So they'd basically be a full game plus a tiebreaker ahead of Tampa Bay. And it, it's kind of amazing at this point what they've been able to do. And, um, but, you know, you and I talked about Jameis Winston early in the season, and I was starting to come around a little bit. But since you and I have talked, I don't know if you've heard any of the podcasts or anything, but, man, I really got to where, okay, man, this dude is going to be able to lead us. I really, he improved so much week to week to week. And I finally felt like, okay, he's starting to feel the groove of this offense. Sean Payton is starting to open the, not open the playbook, but let the reins loose a little bit. And he's making great decisions. That first quarter and a half against Tampa Bay, I thought he made excellent decisions. I thought he was outstanding against Seattle, even though some people don't think that. I mean, you had drops and routes run wrong and tight ends fumbling the ball. So I really thought he was finally coming into his own, and then this happens. Yeah. um, You know, Jameis, like you said, we we talked about him weeks ago, and as you said, over these last three, you were starting to see him get comfortable. And that was the biggest thing. He was comfortable enough to take on his teammates like he did with Traquan Smith on the sideline. He was comfortable enough to understand what he could and couldn't do. You saw it against Tampa when he put when he, when he pulled the ball down, he was decisive. I'm going to run. Yes, he was. And when he ran, he ran with intention. Um, he wasn't running to, 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 to run for his life. He was running with purpose. And he was still looking downfield. And you would just – it's like he was getting it. Things were starting to click. Um, it, it, it's – it stinks, man, because you still look at this team and you're like, if they can just get basic, decent quarterback play, somebody doesn't turn it over the rest of the way, this is still this team could win 11 games. Because you look at the schedule the rest of the way and you say, there are enough bad teams on this schedule. This defense is good enough that within this division, they can beat Atlanta twice. They can beat Carolina again. You might you lose that second one to Tampa most likely, but okay, you still that's that puts you at four and two in this division. Uh, you know, you, you, the rest of the games on the schedule, Kansas City doesn't look as hard as it did before. It doesn't look as difficult as it did before. There are other games on the schedule. Pittsburgh isn't what Pittsburgh was. So you feel like the Saints are going to be in most of those games. If you had Jameis, you look at him and say, man, they had a shot at the Super Bowl. Yeah. In the end. I agree. And, um, you can't think that now. I mean, I don't think they have a chance to Super Bowl. I do. I still no. think they have a chance to be a good team. Um, they still make at, the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's what they are. I think they're a playoff team. They're not an NFC South champion team, um, and it's okay that they're not. Um, but I still think if if they find some kind of way to win this division, Sean Payton's got to be the coach of the year, don't you think? I don't almost like he should be coach here right now. What team has been through? what the Saints have been through and has won at the level they won at. They beat Green Bay by 35. Green Bay is considered the best team in the NFL right now. Speaking of which, there's a report out right now that that Aaron Rodgers has COVID. So um, if that's true and they're going to face Kansas City this weekend, you better jump on that Chiefs line while it's still picket uh, before it changes. I just wanted to throw that out. (laughs) To, to my uh, listeners who like my my betting aspect of it, I'm glad I I'm glad I got to write my picks column and, and I got to put KC in there as a picket before uh, before I found this out. But uh, you you look at who they have uh, at quarterback, and I know uh, I've read with 
I, I agree with your social media tweets about Taysom not, I mean, uh, are we going to count on Taysom the rest of the way? I mean, I, I don't know what choice you have. I mean, to me, your choices are this, the trade deadline's passed, so that's, that's gone. And one thing that, Sean, that kind of frustrates me with Peyton is he sometimes, as great as a coach he is, he locks on on certain things and, and projects almost. And um, so I, I think we're going to be stuck with Taysom, but we, we can do this because we're in the media and we can debate things. But, I mean, to me, your choices are this, Taysom, Trevor Simeon, or you go out on the free agent line and you call either Cam Newton, which is never going to happen because I don't think he fits what Sean Payton's trying to do, or Phillip Rivers, who's as old as dirt. Um, so those are your and, and options. Not resonate in that locker room. This no, ain't I, place. no, I agree. I mean, so, so we're kind of stuck with Taysom, wouldn't you think? The one thing you just you have to worry about is Taysom's physical health. You've already lost one starting quarterback to an injury. Taysom is a dude who's coming off concussion, takes a lot of risks with the football when he puts it, you know, under his arm, and is known to take a few hits because he holds the ball a little too long in the pocket. It's almost like can you just scale it down, give it to Simeon, and still keep Taysom in those limited spots. Because I just don't know if you put him in for 40 snaps, you know, if he has to drop back 40 times in a game, he's going to survive. Although, you know, I, will, the- I will say, though, that he, he played differently when he was the starter for four games. He didn't, like, run like a, a kamikaze banshee um, who was trying to fight through the squid game and, and, and be the last <laughs> one standing. Because that's how he plays most of the time. But he, he didn't play like that when he was a starter. He played differently. It's, but, the problem is that when he's a starter, he and Alvin Kamara struggled so bad to have a true. rhythm. And we've watched Kamara play. He and Jameis were playing off each other so well the last few weeks, just the reads that they had for each other five. And that's what you we were looking for again, particularly in the red zone where Kamara was back to being so elite as a red zone scorer these last few games. I just, oh. And, and, and look, and Traquan was, and it's, it, it, you know, what I loved the fact that, you know, he yells at Traquan that Monday night game goes over the side. He's showing his leadership. I loved it. Um, this is my team now, and you're going to do things the way we're supposed to do them. Gets in his face. And then who's the first person to go hug him when he's on the card uh, yep. Sunday? Traquan Smith says yep. a lot. Um, you know, you see Sean Payton in tears. I mean, literally in tears. I mean, just talking about it after the game. It's obviously, it's obvious that this kid has really grown on the people in that locker room, and he had really won them over. And, I, I mean, I know I, I kind of harp on it, but you know why I harp on it? Because I didn't give him enough credit in the beginning, and I didn't think he could be the guy that could lead this team for multiple reasons. Um and I was 100% wrong about the dude. And uh, that's why I shower extra praise, um, maybe more than I would have for another player in a normal situation, because I was dead wrong about Jameis Winston. I don't know if he's going to be the quarterback of this team at the start of the 2022 season, but I'm probably going to feel a lot different about him if he is. The sad thing is, like, there's no way you can expect him to be the starter next season because. ACL and MCL injuries to a quarterback 
at the earliest you figure he'd be ready by sometime middle of late next season. Um, so the Saints certainly, you know, and he's only a $5 million quarterback. And so they aren't going to put offers for him out on the table now. So if you're the Saints, you're thinking, we can throw this guy a minimum deal just to hold on to him maybe, throw him another $5 million, say, hey, we'll, 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 we'll oversee your rehab. But they're still going to go out and pursue See if Russell Wilson is out there. See if Aaron Rodgers is out there. I think that's what Sean Payton will do. But he's going to have Jameis as the emergency, you know, stay by the phone because I just don't know if there are a ton of options for Jameis now with that leg. And it's that's the sad thing. He's like, this kid bet on himself for the last two seasons, and I'll take little, you know, just to see if I can get back. And now you're on the verge of cashing in. He was on the verge of getting this $20 million a year like every other starting quarterback, and he's back to ground zero, and it's just – when he was playing so well, and like you said, you were seeing the maturity. You were seeing him grow up as a man. And that, to me, was the thing that I was most concerned about for James Winston was that he was not going to grow up and that his that he was just going to continue to bet down the path that we had seen it early on in his career. But, yeah, that's the shocking thing is that he became a leader, not just the quarterback. He became the quarterback, and they believed in him that way. Um, and to watch how the team responded – when he was in the, the injury tent and when he got on the, the cart, it's like a, that, that's like a dude who's put a lot of skins on the wall, not a dude who's been here only for a year. And uh, they, they, they really embraced him, and it's, it's a big loss. It's a big void in that locker room. And you saw even after the game, him dancing that's on That's what crutches. I was going to say, 100%. The dude just probably lost, and he knows this, he probably just lost at a minimum 10 to $15 million with that injury. At a minimum. Probably a hundred million. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, I'm being I'm being very conservative when I say that. I mean, at a minimum, if somebody gave him a one-year contract and he's in the locker room dancing with his teammates on crutches, because obviously this team has become a part of him. You gotta love it. That's what you ask for. That's what you ask for as a fan, is that you, you want to feel like the team cares as much as you do. And when you look at Jameis Winston, and you see a dude, like you said, who threw, who has lost millions of dollars in one snap of your fingers. Millions of dollars. And that dude is so happy for his team that they won this game that he couldn't participate in anymore. I give that dude all the credit in the world for that. And I give that organization, those players as a group, for creating that type of place where you can bring somebody into that and they can do that. Man, not a lot of teams are going to embrace people that way and build them up that way. David, I got to be honest. I love my brothers and all, but um, if I was sitting on a cart knowing I just lost millions and millions of dollars, <laughs> I don't know what I, I don't know. I'd be thinking about my brothers. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, yeah. you got to be straight up. I'm just saying. Yeah. I don't. I don't. It'd be tough. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, maybe it was the painkillers they hit him with. You maybe. Know, but I, I'm sure when he got home that night and he called his agent, his mom or whatever, the conversation was a little bit different, you know. Probably uh, so. But uh, in that moment, you can't meet the dude sitting on the side um, and be like, man, I can't believe y'all won this game and I lost all that money. Exactly. You know, so. That's a lot of money. Uh, David Grubb here on the Datitude Podcast. Before I let you go, I want to touch on the uh, college football playoff that was released um, last night and – Anyone who is surprised, and I said this in my monologue, anyone who is surprised about who the top four teams in this thing are have not been paying attention. I mean, 
Anyone who's surprised that Alabama is number two has not been paying attention. This is not about who the four best teams in college football are or who anyone thinks they are. It's all about, we just talked about Jamison Money, the opposite. You know, he, wasn't, he was about his brothers and not about money. This is all about money and what is going to drive TV ratings. And if you want to feel bad for Cincinnati, feel bad for Cincinnati. If you want to feel bad for Wake Forest, feel bad for Wake Forest. They don't care. No, they don't. And as a Wake Forest alum, uh, I'm, I'm not mad at them for being nine. I mean, look, look, I, I'll just be honest. I know our schedule, you know, Wake Forest schedule has, doesn't put them in that top five. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Um, and like you said, this is about selling television revenue. And we know that Cincinnati doesn't sell. It's not going to get people to tune in to watch TV. I'm just, uh, it, they just aren't. And Everyone wants to see Georgia and Alabama um, right now. Um, certainly, this all changes if, say, Georgia and Alabama play, obviously, an SEC championship and Georgia beats Alabama, and you've got a two-loss Alabama, things become very different. But as long as Alabama's got one loss, they ain't falling out that top four. You ain't taking about that top four for nothing. As long as Nick Saban is alive and that's Alabama, one loss, they're in the playoff. Doesn't matter. And they, they, they also strategically place these teams in a certain spot so that when, if something happens, they can maneuver them a little bit easier. In other words, if Alabama loses in the SEC championship game, and they will, if they make it there, that is, they will be a two-loss team that is going to get in the playoffs barring something really weird happening. It's the reason why they put them at number two and not at number three or four because it's much harder to keep them in the top four if they're three or four. If you put them at two and they play a tight game with Georgia in the SEC championship game, it's very easy to say, okay, we'll drop them to three because they're not going to drop them to four either because they don't want them to play Georgia in the first round. Right. This is a strategic way of putting them in this order. And then also – you talk about Cincinnati. Okay, you don't think they're one of the best four teams in the country? Fine. I don't agree with you, but fine. But you at least put them at number five, right? No, they put Ohio State at five because they, they hope if Ohio State goes to the Big Ten Championship and plays Michigan State, then the winner of that game is automatically in. And you can find yeah. a way to keep the Ducks hanging around. Doesn't Ohio State play Michigan State in a couple weeks? Oh, wait, you're right. They do. They do. So before that. Oh. You're right. Well, like you said, yeah. Whoever wins so, that game. Regardless, that's, that's right. So you and can you make still- that work whatever way you want it to work. So there's a strategic way to put them in this order, and you can do whatever you want with it and keep Cincinnati out. And I'm telling you right now, they might not have a choice. They might have to put Cincinnati in. If, if Oregon loses or it looks terrible or whatever, they may have to put Cincinnati in. But if they can keep Cincinnati out, they're going to. Yeah, you're going to make Cincinnati go 12-0. and 0. You're going to make them do it. They're going to have to go 12-0 and 0 to get into this. But even situation. if they go 12-0, and 0, they're going to try to keep them out, I think. Oh, absolutely. But you at least you're telling them for sure. Like, you've set them at six. You're like, you're not going to fall your way into this. You're not going to be 12-0 uh, and 0 and have it automatically be in. You, you, that's the minimum you have to do. The minimum you have to do is un- be undefeated, which for nobody else, that's the rule. But you're power five, so the minimum – and everybody else is going to have to lose at least once except for Georgia. 
You know, if Georgia State, look, everybody else is going to have to keep losing to come back to Cincinnati. Right. There's just no way. you If the, the, the national public, A, can't name a player who plays for Cincinnati or has no idea who Cincinnati is, and so you're not putting them in your biggest television showcase for an event that people have to remember, again, is not an official championship. It's the only right. sport NCAA has no control over the champion. This is completely a private enterprise. This is not about, like you said, it's not about declaring who the best team is. It's about getting the best tournament for the money. And that's what they're trying to do here. The worst part is that, like I said, and I harp on it, and I'll say it probably 150 times before January the 10th, they don't care who the best team is. They just don't. I mean, it, you know. Yes. Although... Although, if there were any season for it, really doesn't matter, in my opinion. This is one of them because, and if they prove me wrong, they prove me wrong. But I don't see anybody beating Georgia anyway, so who cares, I guess. Georgia just looks unstoppable at this point. But it's also a year that there's no player, there's no thing that really stands out in the college football world. Like, everything is like Georgia's that good as a group. But they haven't captured your imagination. You know, they're not the 2019 LSU team. They're not USC from 2001 or whatever. You know, you're not talking about them. Yeah, but you know why, though? It's defense because we all remember. I mean, USC, you had Reggie Bush and you had uh, the left-handed quarterback. I'm the brain fart. Matt Uh, Matt Leinart. Matt Leinart, who's on Fox now. I mean, you, you had studs on that team. Uh, and then LSU, obviously, with Burrow and Chase and and Edward Z. Lair and go on and on and Justin Jordan Jefferson and, and Justin Jefferson. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> people are going to shoot darts at me. Um, you know what I mean? It's like you had names, but Georgia's defense is like one big glob of, we are going to pound you into oblivion. But the only thing I'm going to say is the, the, here's the reason why if it's not going to be Georgia, I think it's going to be Alabama, even though I don't think they're very good this year, well, very good to Alabama standards. Because when something happens when Kirby looks across the field and sees his old boss, I don't know what it is. You know, a lot of these, you try to, I think you try to get cute at times. Yeah. I think we've seen it with Dan Mullen, you know, when it came at certain points. Right. Um, like, I'm trying to prove something to you that I know, I, I got to do something that coach isn't thinking about. Right. And he thinks this, so I have to think like this. Man, Nick Saban, that's the thing about Nick Saban, that, 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 you know, the most steady thing about him is that he really does not think about what you're thinking about. No, he doesn't. And, Nick Saban, and doesn't he's care. Doing, no, he doesn't. <laughs> and that's a hard thing for most people to get to in life is to get to the point where you're not thinking, you know, not negatively, you're not, but it, it just as, as I'm not, I, my life, my plans are about me and my team. And that's every week Nick Saban is about him and his team. He's, the, the opponent changes, the strategy may change, but it's all about his guys. And I think most coaches, it's, especially when you're going against your mentor or whatever, it's hard to get out of your head in that regard. Um, but, that, yeah, you're right. That might be the only chance Alabama has against this Georgia team this year because they're not that impressive. They're, yeah. They have impressive talent. But that's yeah. a team, the least impressive Alabama team probably in the last 10 years. I am not a fan of Nick Saban, the person, I guess, because I in in covering him for a short time and then just seeing uh, whatever. Uh, but if you don't respect him and you don't think he look, 
it's a, it's the same as Tom Brady in a way, right? I mean, you, you have to say that Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. And I know that recent is is easier to remember than than the day and the game's different and all that stuff. It's kind of like I, I finally succumbed, I think. I finally say that Tom Brady is the best foot, football player that's that's played the game. Uh, I was Joe Montana for until probably the last Super Bowl. But I guess when you win seven rings and you win six national championships as a coach, I guess you got to give up and say they're the best, right? When you can sustain excellence, that's the hardest thing to do, right? That's always the thing. The hardest thing is to do is to continue to be great. Everybody can have their day in the sun, but these dudes having weeks and months and years in the sun, and it's just uh, it's an incredible testament to them. Like I said, I grew up a Michigan fan. I'm still a Michigan fan, but I don't love Tom Brady. I, yeah, really I just kept don't. going back to Robert Ory won like all those championships. He wasn't the greatest basketball. No. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, we keep counting championships as a measure. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think a championship is the, is the ultimate measure of greatness. Um, but I think for what, for Saban, what sets him apart, it's not just the championships, it's the fact that they don't have ebbs. They have not had right. that drop down to eight wins or seven wins. They've had, they haven't had that year. They stay at 10. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, you look at it for a comparison, a program like an LSU, and you keep wondering why can't they just stay really good, let alone great. You can't get LSU to stay really good. And Saban keeps Bama right where it's supposed to be when that period from when, you like the closest thing they had to uh, Bear Bryant was like four years of Gene Stallings right. in Alabama. <laughs> in, in between Saban and – Bear Bryant, you had Gene Stallings, and that was the very best Bama could do. So you, you think about that in that context, it makes what Saban's done at that school even kind of more remarkable because they were on probation and stuff before he got back there. What was the old Giants coach that went to Perkins? Um, Ray Perkins, what, yeah. Ray Perkins. They were awful. I mean, and people don't people that are probably under the age of 40 probably don't even remember, but uh, Ray Perkins. I mean, Alabama went through a time when they were – Pretty bad. Um, Mike, Shula. Mike Shula was the coach of Alabama. Gary coached for one week. Oh. Was that, wasn't that Gary? Well, not Gary Patterson, the other guy. Was um, a coach from TCU who got the job and got fired in a week because he was I at a strip was. club. Wasn't it Gary Patterson? It, Maybe it was. I think it was. It was like, but... I mean, they had, remember, Ben was just going through cycling. Through, I mean, they had the whole, they had the kid that they paid. To, to try to for so they wouldn't go to Tennessee and they That's got right. busted. <laughs> it was just bad at Bama for like fifteen years. It, it's hard to believe that that actually was the case. And and Bear Bryant was probably rolling over his grave. And now he's like thinking, this dude's if he if 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 souls can think, he was he's thinking somewhere. This dude's stealing all of my legacy and all my glory. Because guess what, Nick Saban's. It's hard to believe, but. He's better than Bear Bryant. I mean, it is, but it is. Considering it is. the era and what he's had to go up against and all those things, it's yeah. way it's, harder to win now. Much harder, much harder. And, you know, before you could just walk into the kid's house and say, we're Alabama, to do that and, now, Except for Bo Jackson. <laughs> right. You don't want to hear that nonsense. Um, you might play when you're a sophomore. I'll go to Auburn. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, have you seen me? Like, I'm the greatest athlete in the world, baby. The dumbest uh, move in the history of college football coaching. Yeah. John Bojack. And he'll just walk and say, you 
play. I can play you today. You can start. You can be exactly. quarterback, running back, whatever you do. Do that both. In fact, we'll petition the NCAA that you come play for us as a high school senior. How's that? <laughs> Pat I would have done anything. Exactly. Anything to beat Alabama. And that's just, that's just awesome. Worked uh, out, but, yeah. Worked out all right. Well, Mad credit. David, thank you for, for joining the podcast. I, man, great conversation. I love it. Um, and we'll do it again. I hope the next time that we talk that uh, Zion, at least we know when Zion is playing. <laughs> And that the Pelicans have maybe five or six wins. I mean, that would be. December, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to wait and see. Uh, No, but thanks for coming on. We'll we'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure, man. Uh, Thank you so much. I told you, just way nicer than me. Hey, it's all good. I mean, I could be nice. I mean, that's not what my wife says, but I mean, I could be nice. Come on. Not always a jerk. Um, you know, David pretty much said all the things that I was thinking, just in a different way. And but some good comments there. And look, Mike Thomas, Zion Williamson, just it's just frustrating. And sometimes you need to just you need to just say it. I mean, it, it's frustrating. Hopefully, a month from now. Maybe we feel differently about this, at least with Zion Williamson. Maybe Zion Williamson will go through and work his tail off. I doubt it. But work his tail off and come back and I can say I was wrong. I'd love that. I mean, Mike Thomas now, we know we're not going to be able to see him in, except in street club. Will he even be on the sidelines? You think he'll be on the sidelines cheering his team on? I mean, it might force him to. But if they didn't force him to, and I don't know the answer whether they force him to or not, but if, if they didn't force him to, is he going to be there? I mean, the dude's getting however many million dollars a year. You think he has to at least be on the sideline. I guess we'll find out soon enough. I do want to turn our attention to the, the sports betting world. And I am the sports betting writer, so obviously it's very important to me. But uh, we have a... Uh, you know, as of Sunday, you can now go to Harris and go to Boomtown here in the New Orleans area. And hopefully there'll be some other books opening up very soon. Uh, also, the app's coming out. You'll be able, you won't even have to go to a sports book in the next, in about a month or two. You'll be able to bet right from your phone, which could be dangerous too in, in some aspects. We'll talk about that in another time. But, um, and I've talked about it pretty much, uh, I've talked about it a lot already. So uh, we don't need to go there yet. But uh, Zach Ewing, sports betting betting director here at bet.nola.com, he's going to come on and talk about what he saw last week. He was there Sunday when the book opened, Uh, just some observations that he had. And we're going to kind of get into a little bit about how to bet, and if you're interested, I was so surprised, and I, and I say this in the interview, I was so surprised at how many people have come up to me and asked me, that whether it be via text or if I'm just out or I'm seeing friends that I haven't seen in a while or how many friends I really have that they might have played a, a ton of fantasy football. I mean, I have a friend who's played fantasy football for 20-something years and has never placed a bet. Um, 
which I found hard to believe. I just assumed, you know. Of course, betting is not legal. It has not been legal here in the state of Louisiana until Sunday. But to never place a bet, I mean, to not go to Mississippi or you've never been to Vegas or you don't have a friend, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, I just found that strange. And so I guess what I'm getting at is I think there's a lot of people out there that like that who are interested in it but really never had the means or the access to do it. And now that they can do it on their phone, yeah, I'll pop down 10 or 20 bucks on a Saints game or if I really want to get into it and study it and learn how to do it, um, you know, play a little bit here, maybe bet two or three games a week or whatever. I mean, this is as much for the casual better as it is for people. There are people who, a lot of people who do this for a living. And you got to be really good to do this for a living. And as someone that writes about it for a living, it's not something I would want to do for a living, trying to bet and make money off it. you got to be upper 50s percent to make any real money. So it's not something I would suggest. And even in my best years of picking NFL, which is what I'm probably best at. Uh, I'm not talking about my futures bet, but if you go by NFL picks, and I do pick every game, and I wouldn't, if I were really betting, you know, if I'm betting, I'm not betting every game. So, I mean, it's kind of skewed. But my best season ever against the spread picking every NFL game, I think, was somewhere around 560, which is 56%. Um, and that was in my best year. And But, again, that's picking every game. So, I mean, I've probably had seasons where I've gone 62 64% in a season um, and had really good years. But I've also had years where I've gone below 50%. Um, it doesn't happen very often, but I've, I certainly have had those years. So it, it's tough. It really is. I mean, you got to – and so we have – Zach and I are kind of going to – the ins and outs and how, uh, what to do, where to get started, how to figure it all out, what the book's like. Um, and so it's a really good interview. So let's get to it. Welcoming in Zach Ewing, sports betting director at bet.nola.com. Um, and, uh, you know, you and I have had an interesting, quite a few, quite a few months here now. Yeah. Go back a year. And imagine what you would have said if you could tell yourself, like, this is what we'll be doing this fall. I mean, for me, it's just another world. It really is. I mean, I, and you, you, it's funny you say that because I think it was last week. I don't remember what I was watching, but I started zoning out and thinking about, you know, where I was last year about this time and, um, you know, with COVID and how weird the world was and how weird – covering high school sports was and you know no fans at games and um you know I went on my my normal weekend betting life but and had fun and have had fun with it but I mean it's I don't think anyone any of us could have predicted where we'd be uh just a short time later no I mean it's and and to be clear like we both work for the same company still right so how, how big of a change can you make within the same company um but between COVID sort of knock on wood, like hopefully mostly in the past now, and the, the job with sports betting, like I, I can't tell you how many people I've told just this weekend, like I can't believe this is my job. And I'm, I, I'm grateful, I'm lucky. 
it's just been a total whirlwind change, and that always comes with with like an adjustment period, right? Has it been has it been as weird for you when people ask you? I mean, you've always been able to answer like, "What do you What do you do for a living?" Oh, I'm a sports writer, okay, or I'm, or, or I'm an editor, or whatever. And you know, okay, you're a sports writer. What do you cover? I'll cover high school sports mostly. Blah blah blah. But now, in the last few months, when you tell them, "What do you do for a living?" I'm a sports writer. What do you cover? I cover betting. You cover what? I mean, having to explain to them that you actually cover sports betting and make predictions and those sorts of things for a living. People don't get it, nor do they fathom that's a real job. Yeah, I've run into the same thing for sure. Um, I do find that once I explain to people what it is, they tend to ask me more about work than they did before. Um, And to be fair, like as an editor, people never totally understood what I did anyway. Um, That's true. Oh, so you get you, you get to go to all the games and talk to the players. <laughs> no, I'm mostly sitting at my desk in the office. Right. So you at least get to go to the games, right? No, somebody's got to be back at right. the office. Well, that kind of sounds boring, you know. <laughs> <It's> like, <"Well, laughs> um, thanks for that. But he's working on a roof. Yeah, well, that's true. No, I mean it's it, and, and I'm not complaining about my old job. It was a great job. Um, I was closer to the action. It was I got to think about sports all day, which is what I would do anyway. Um, and so. I'm not complaining, but now you kind of do get these opportunities to be closer to the action. And at the same time, it's exciting because, you know, this is, I'm the first person ever in this role at this company. You're the first person ever in your role at this company. So we get to blaze this trail together um, and, and decide the best, the best path forward for this department. And, um, you know, instead of, instead of following someone else and saying, okay, well, what, what can I change and what can I do better from what they did? Now I'm doing um, I'm, I'm, I'm totally setting the path myself, which is scary, but it's also exciting. You know, the coolest part is I think, um, I think a year from now, neither one of us are going to recognize our jobs. I think it will evolve into something that I don't think either one of us knows how it's, what it's going to evolve into and what we'll, we'll be doing stuff. That's, I mean, not totally different. Of course, we'll be making picks. We'll be doing shows and things like that. But I, I think there's so many things that we don't realize that we're going to be doing a year from now that are good things. No, and I mean, not to go too far into the weeds here, but we've had planning meetings where, I don't know, 60, 75% of the answers are, well, we'll wait and see how that goes. You know, let's, let's wait and see what the audience is for this. Let's wait and see what the reaction is to that. Um, of course, we have a wonderful partner in, in Caesar Sportsbook, and let's see, let's see what they think. Let's see what they want to do. Um, and all of it is it's constantly changing. You're right, especially with this fall has been crazy because we didn't know when sports betting was going to go live. Um, we got word literally 48 hours, and less than 48 hours in advance of when it was going live. Uh, we, we heard Friday late morning that it was going to be 7 a.m. Sunday. We still don't know exactly when mobile betting will go live, which I think is when this is really going to go mainstream. And so it's it's... Yeah, it's changing, and then when football season ends, it will change again because uh, as, as anybody who's worked in sports media knows, football season is very structured. It's very busy, but it's very structured. The games are always on the same day at the same time. You can do the same things on the same day. And then when the rest of the year, it's, it's not quite that way. You have to kind of uh, plan out a little bit more because the schedule is, is more fluid. And so, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of changes, and, you know, again, it's it's exciting and it's, it's a little bit scary at the same time. Like I don't have a blueprint for this. So if I screw up, 
it's on me. Zach Ewing, betting sports betting director at the Advocate, the Times Picune, and bet.noel.com, and who just happens to be my boss here on Datitude Podcast. But that's not why we have you on. And you and I have. Uh, I was about to say. You, you and I, you know, it's interesting because we did not know each other at all before I took this job, even though we worked in the same company. I don't think we ever. We, we might not have even been on the same email except for group company emails. And um, I'm not just saying this mm-hmm. when I, I think you have turned into a friend and it, you're always nervous a little bit when you take jobs and you, you, you go into something. You know, I was on an island covering high school sports. I did whatever I want, however I wanted for quite a while, even before I came to this part of the Times Picune, which was owned by a different company more, uh, a little over two years ago. But when you start a new job, you're always worried about um, how is this going to work out? How is it going to? How are you going to have a relationship with a person you don't know? And I think you and I have grown into friends. We, we're we're actually texting each other during games and kind of you know the Green Bay Arizona game. I thought was kind of a funny uh, interaction. Not so funny for you because it didn't work out your way, but it, it, it's been a, it's been a great relationship. I don't want to talk about that Green Bay Arizona game. <laughs> if you want to hear my rant on that, you can you can check out odds and ends from yesterday. Uh, and Trey Wingo on the show too, so it's worth it's worth looking up for sure. On, uh, but but yeah, no, I agree. I, th- I think we're um, we're very like personalities, right? And yes. so because of that, we've we've been fast friends, and that's a great thing. I, I want to say just to go back to your previous point, I do remember talking to you on the phone at least once, maybe twice. Did harassing you? you for a prep football story on a Friday night. And that was oh, about so, it. Sorry, I don't and, remember and they, that. And they, they were like 10-second conversations like, okay. hey, get that, that freaking story in now. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll get it in. And then and click. I, and, that, and I probably want to click. I'm like, who is this dude? I got to finish this. And he's bugging me. No, like, like, I don't know my deadline is, uh, was two minutes ago. <laughs> no, but Not a fun know, conversation. You have to have a certain kind, a certain kind of personality, certain kind of, um, I don't know, you have to have a certain kind of brain to not only work this job, but I think to, to like really get into this, there are going to be all kinds of different betters when this, when this really gets going, when after people see the sports book, but really when they get the app and they can bet from their own home, there are different, there are people that do it once or twice on the weekend. Oh, there are people that say, okay, we're the Saints side to bet the Super Bowl. Let me go bet that. There are people that like baseball and they may make a futures bet and forget about it. And then there's people that, do it once or twice a week. And then there's the people like us degenerates who are going to do something almost every day, most likely um, within reason. I mean, obviously you could, but if you know what you're doing, I mean, you can have a good time with it. Oh yeah. I, I mean, and, and I always tell people my goal when I play, I say play when I, when I bet on sports is not to make money. If right. it's your goal to make money, you probably 100%. should not be doing it unless you are, uh, extremely confident and comfortable with your model and you better have some analytics and you better have some numbers that back up that your analytics system works. Because if you don't have that, chances are in the long run, you will not make money. Uh, and so I always tell people, don't get into it to make money. You get into it because it's fun. And um, if, if I had a bet on the Pacers and Cavaliers game last night, I would have been 10 times more interested in that game than normal. Because normally that might be something I'd stop on for 30 seconds if I was flipping channels. Otherwise, I wouldn't even know the Pacers were playing the Cavs, right? But if I put even $5 on that game, even $5, all of a sudden now I'm invested. And every, every possession in the fourth quarter is like bite your nail time. 
And are, are the $5 going to make or break me? Of course not. No. But that's, that's the point. You, like, if, if you're betting something that's, that's really going to affect you past a couple days, you shouldn't be betting. I, I would even argue past a couple of hours. I mean, you, if you're betting so much that you can't get over it, then you're doing this for the wrong reasons. And so, yeah, but I agree. I mean, I think the casual better will be, um, will, will be a lot more prevalent. And then for people like you and I, there's a lot more opportunity to do it. And as long as you're doing it within reason, and we always hear, you know, be a responsible gamer. Well, this is what we're talking about. If you're, if you're starting to bet too much money um, to where it's affecting your life or your mood, then you need to scale it back and or stop. But it's, otherwise, it's fun. It's entertainment. So go have fun. And just in case, you know, people haven't bet a lot, I mean, you know, let's, we're going to have a sports betting 101 show at Harris, uh, actually at Manning's, uh, next Thursday night, November the 11th at six o'clock. It'll be live and on demand. And so people will be able to learn a little bit more. All these people that I'm talking about who may not have, you know, delved into the gambling world, would they want to, you know, just dip, dip their toe in? But they don't understand the terms, and there are lots of terms. We talk. You just talked about going on tilt, um, which I know all about going on tilt. Uh, it, it happens a lot, especially in the poker world. Uh, but you know, so we're gonna we're gonna try to tell them a little bit more about betting and teach them. And how how do we do that? Yeah, it's it's um, it's going to be a great event. It's next Thursday night, six o'clock at Manning's Restaurant, which is right outside Harris Hotel and Casino. Um, it is very, very limited availability to actually attend the event. The, the total attendance will be in the neighborhood of just 100. Um, and some of those will be giveaways on the NOLA.com side. Some will be giveaways on the Harris side. And then there will be a small number of tickets released to the public. So if you are interested in coming, make sure you keep an eye out for our promotions. We'll put ads in the paper. Uh, there will be ads at Harris. We'll also talk about it on our shows. Um, but just keep an eye out if you do want to get your hands on one of those. But if you can't, it will also stream live on bet.nola.com, and I believe Harris also has plans to put it in their uh, in-room TV, kind of in-circuit TV channel for people who are at the casino and maybe want to try out sports betting and have never done it before. But we'll talk about a lot of definitions. We'll talk about what a money line is, what a spread is, prop bets, futures bets, uh, parlays, teasers, what all the little numbers mean next to the teams. And then... Hopefully the idea is if you're a beginning gambler, you have a pretty good idea of what you're doing, and then you can start to delve into, okay, I made this bet at this number. What does that mean? And you can start to learn what value is. And, and really the idea is just making it more fun for everybody. A friend of mine was uh, talking, in fact, right before we <clears throat> recorded this interview, he was telling me about, he was asking me how to find something on, on, on the Caesars app. He wanted to know about a certain prop bet or what, and I told him. But he was going in, and he he found, I don't know where he found this, but just for soccer alone, there are 60,000 things you can bet in soccer right now. I mean, soccer in the U.K. is way bigger than it even is here in America. And um, so that's when I, when I talk about who knows where all this is going, but all the different things. People think, okay, I bet on the Saints plus five and a half or minus six against Atlanta. I've given six against there are way you can bet the first quarter. You can bet how many. You know, last week there was a, my my off road bet of the week for people that haven't listened to Five Star Friday was Ryan Tannehill plus point five interceptions, which means he just had to throw one interception. Um, and you could bet that. I mean, and that was actually plus one ten. I didn't understand that as odds, but that's another story. Which means that you had to put 
if you put $100 down on Ryan Tannehill throwing at least one interception last week, yes, you could bet that, and you won, which he did. He threw two, actually. You would win $110 off of your $100 bet. So I think that's what people don't really get is there's more than just plus or minuses, plus 110 or minus six and a half or spreads. and all. There are way more things you can bet than just spreads and money lines. Oh, absolutely. And, and you would have made $110 on a Matt Ryan interception plus your original 100 back. And that's, that's just an example of something people don't always understand. That's right. Well, why would I bet $100 if I'm only going to get 110 back? No, no, no. Right. no. You're getting 110 profit. So right. you, you know, you're, you're above and beyond what you want. Um, but it's also just about understanding that this is, this is difficult and this is going to be uh, a thing that you win and lose just like any other game in the casino. And guess what? Casinos are there because they make money. So they're going to make money off of it in the long run. Uh, but it, it is a place unlike a roulette wheel or, a, or to a certain extent, a blackjack table or certainly a craps table. Like there is at least some skill involved. If you're playing roulette, like, I'm sorry, your hunch that, that even is going to come up on the next spin, that's not skill. <laughs> we, we, there's at least, a, some, at least a modicum of skill in this game. Zach Ewing here on the Datitude Podcast. Well, I mean, talk a little bit about your uh, – you were able to go trick-or-treating with the kids on Saturday night, go straight downtown, spend the night at Harris, and wake up into an adult toy land. You had – the kids toy land on, on Saturday night, and then you had the adult toy land on, on Sunday, waking up and going to that beautiful sports book. Just to talk about your experience a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was a weekend I won't forget for a long time. I mean, I've never lived in a place before that does trick-or-treating on October 30th. I've ne- never even heard of that. <laughs> but we just moved into our house last year in this neighborhood. And, of course, last year trick-or-treating was very low-key. Right. I mean, I... I think I think we did like a trunk or treat at the park, and that was about it. We didn't actually go door to door because because the pandemic was still raging at that time. So this was really the first year we've had with a true trick or treating experience. And my neighborhood goes all out; like it's a very good neighborhood to trick or treat in. And my wife and I were, why why are they doing it on Saturday? This is dumb. That's, but as it turned out, it was the perfect thing because they announced sports betting starting Sunday morning on Halloween in New Orleans. I live in Livingston Parish. I can't do both. So I was able to go trick-or-treating Saturday night with my, with my family, um, left the house at like 8.30, got down to New Orleans at 10, um, you know, checked into Harris Hotel, and then got up bright and early 5.45 Sunday morning and walked over to the casino. And there were already people in line. At, I think I woke up at quarter to six, you know, took a shower, brushed my teeth, got dressed, walked straight over there. So probably over there, what, like 6.10? There was already 30, 40 people in line. At 6.10 a.m. on a Sunday. That's insane. Um, for 7 o'clock uh, opening of the sports book. And so it, it was just, um, you know, it was a circus. But, but it was expected to be, and that's what they want. And I stayed at the casino until about noon. Um, and by noon, there was, I tried to go through and estimate. And they have two lines. They have one for regular, regular people. And then they have one for the platinum, you know, diamond-encrusted Caesars Rewards people who bet thousands of dollars every year at the casino. And so they have their special line. There was probably 20, 25 people in the special line and then maybe 200 in the other line. Um, and so pe- people were ready. I mean, I saw, uh, what's the name of the team from, from the movie Dodgeball, the uh, Average Joes. There was, yeah. it was Halloween, so there's people dressed up, 
you know, all over the place. There was a group of about 10 guys dressed yeah, dressed as the average Joe's dodgeball team who are all getting in line to bet on sports and then realize they're never going to make it. This is like 1140. And they look at the line and they go, oh, well, I want to bet on the noon games. I can't do this. So that's where mobile betting is going to come in. But um, it, it, was, it was a scene and it was all right, Devin Jackson, our producer for uh, odds and ends and, and at the book, he, he went after me during the Saints game to the sport because I, I went to the Dome, but he was at the casino during the Saints game. And he said, that, you know, it's just all day long. It's just a crazy scene. And I maintain a sports book is the second best place to watch a sporting event after actually being at the venue. It's fantastic. Somebody's always got some sort of action. Even in some, some ways, it's better than being at the venue. Because even if the game is 35 to 3, somebody's sweating out the total. Somebody's sweating out some sort of prop bet. I mean, somebody's got something on the line, and they're watching intently. Um, and it, it's just great to be around that kind of emotion. <laughs> Just like the Bills game the other day. I mean, I, I had the Bills, minus 13 and a half, didn't think they were going to cover. And Josh Allen just trounces into the end zone at the end of the game. Means nothing, right? Meant something for me. <laughs> the Texans scored 22 points in the fourth quarter. Lose to the Rams 38-22. That's right. 38 to nothing. Rams cover 16 and a half. Meant something so, for somebody. You never know. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I can't wait to go down there and, uh, and, and get a gander of it and – you know, just talk, talk about it. There's a restaurant next. Just explain to people what, what it actually looks like visually. If they, they haven't seen it already, what's kind of the setup there? Yeah, so this is, this is just a temporary book. And, like, LaBerge Casino in Baton Rouge is doing the same thing. They just have a little temporary sports book set up in a nook with three or four spots at the counter, and the line just kind of goes through the middle of the casino almost. Um, it's a little bit bigger at Harris than it is at, at LaBerge, but... It goes, the line kind of snakes through the middle of these slot machines. Um, the counter is just up against the wall, and then to the left of that is a little restaurant bar area that's elevated, um, and that's where they have all the screens, and you can watch the games and stuff. And they do plan on building a big sports book. In fact, you can see they have a big construction wall up that says Caesar Sportsbook all over it where they're building, and I, I, I don't think it's supposed to be open until end of 2022 or maybe even beginning of 23. It's, we're still at least a year away from that. But that I've seen images of that. That place is going to be spectacular. It's going to be, like I say, the place to watch NFL Sunday uh, outside of maybe being at the Superdome itself. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit makeshift right now, but they're, I think they're kind of making the best of a uh, temporary situation. Zach Ewing here on the Datitude Podcast. Uh, before we let you go, I want to pick your brain a little bit on uh... – you know, what are your biggest surprises? Uh, and, you know, well, I'll ask you this, the second question. Uh, usually I finish with big, three big questions, so let's just do it that way. My number one question to you and the three big question is, what is your biggest surprise, whether it be college or NFL, that's happened so far this season? Oh, man. Um, to pick one, let me, let me rack my brain for a minute here through college and the NFL. I guess I'm, I am most surprised in the NFL maybe at how I – can't, I can't really call this a surprise because it happens in the NFL every, every single year, but it is so hard to maintain a high-level team in the NFL, and we're seeing that again with the Chiefs. Uh, I, they won last night, Monday night, but they, they look awful again doing it, frankly. I mean, they barely beat the Giants at home 
not not that Saints fans should be poo-pooing anybody who loses to the Giants at home, but but I mean, it, you know, they just they, they look so good the last few years, and now they they just look like an average team. And it's hard to put your finger on exactly when or why that changes, but it changes so fast. And then on the flip side, you look at a team like the Bengals, who everybody thought was still a year away, and they've been. I, yeah, I know they lost to the Jets on Sunday, but they, they've they've looked every bit of a playoff team. And so, just how quickly things change, I think. I think in college football, uh, I really thought this was going to be the year Texas A&M was going to bust through, and they had an injury to their starting quarterback, and they still beat Alabama. So maybe they are going to bust through. But but I was surprised at how poorly they were in the, in the first half of the year. Well, okay. Well then. I agree with you on both of those Bengals Chiefs points. You know, you keep waiting for the Chiefs, and I and I thought really thought last night was going to be the night because they're kind of like the door has been pushed wide open in the AFC West, it, and here's your chance to go through it. And sure, they won, almost luckily won. If they were playing any kind of decent team last night, and they're down, you know, seventeen to fourteen in the middle of the fourth quarter, they weren't winning that game. They got all kinds of breaks. Um, I, I just don't, I don't get them. I, I, they, 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 they have a lack of focus. They're just so hard to figure out. And you know that this is the week they're going to come out of it because everybody's going to be on Green Bay and Kansas is favored and it makes no sense. So, but, but you can't keep betting them, right? I mean, part, part of it too is that, and people have said this before, this is not an original thought, but Patrick Mahomes his weakness may be he's impatient and teams are starting to take away the deep ball from him. And he doesn't like that. He doesn't like having to check That's right. down. He, he can't be, he can't be Drew Brees where, Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. My running back's open. Let's take a seven yard. Like he, he might do that two or three plays and then he forces one down and puts his team behind the sticks or worse forces a turnover. And I think we need to see that as the next step in his march toward greatness. If that's what this is going to be, because he's, he's got to get that out of his system where it's like, hey, it's okay if I have to throw 15 passes to get us down the field. As long as we're moving the ball, let's do it. I'll tell you another one that I just thought of. is I, I, I thought the Cowboys would be fine. I thought they'd probably win the NFC East just because it was the NFC East and somebody has to win it. They, they have been better than I thought. I mean, they, they truly, especially winning at Minnesota without Dak Prescott, they look like one of the top five teams in the NFL right now. Oh, I think there's no question in it. Uh, real quick, interestingly, you say that about the Chiefs because I, I had where I was, I could see the game for the first uh, three quarters, but I couldn't hear it. Um, driving home, I drove home. It took me almost the entire fourth quarter to drive home. And I listened to Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner on the radio. Outstanding broadcast duo, by the way. Um, and Kurt Warner said exactly what you were saying about Mahomes. He is so frustrated, he can't throw the long pass. And when he starts realizing that taking these little click downs are okay. Um, that'll be the next step in his career. And because the, the long pass will open back up, but I agree with you hundred percent. He just doesn't want to throw. He has wants something to do with it. He wants to be Hollywood. And uh, it's, it's, at some point he's going to have to realize that he can't do that. Question number two, you can't pick Georgia. Who's going to win the college football championship in College football. Well, the college football championship, that would only be college football. But uh, you can't pick Georgia. If I can't take Georgia, the only two teams I could see beating Georgia are Alabama, um, and they're going to get a crack at them most likely in the SEC championship game, 
And Alabama's always a good, solid choice here because what, what have they been underdogs twice in the last 15 years and they've won both of them or something? And right. They'll be, they'll be underdogs in that SEC championship game by a couple of points, I would think. Um, and they could right. very well win that game. But, but it's also true that Alabama could, could trip up. They still have to play, I believe, at Auburn, who looks very good. Um, and, and, of course, if they don't beat Georgia, they're not going to get in anyway. So, so the team I'll pick is Ohio State. Um, Georgia's got the best defense in the country. I think Ohio State has the best offense in the country. Um, even the game they lost to Oregon, Oregon's a good team, first of all. It was early in the season. And if you look at the underlying stats in that game, I think Oregon won the turnover battle. Ohio State also turned it over on a fourth and one a couple of times. I mean, it was one of those games where the Ducks kind of caught the breaks in that game. And they played very well, too. But I, I just think Ohio State, if you look at what's in front of them, who could beat them before they were to get to the college football playoff? They still have to play Michigan State, Michigan, and they beat Penn State last week. They still have to play Michigan, Michigan State, and then a Big Ten championship game against I don't Iowa, Wisconsin. I don't know who's going to come out of the West at this point. It's kind of a mess. But I don't see any of those teams beating them. And so I feel pretty confident that Ohio State will get to the playoff, and they, they will have a chance if they play Georgia because they are the one team that has the offense that might be able to put up points against them. You know, Alabama is interesting because their odds to win the national championship are still pretty bad. I mean, I wouldn't touch them with a stick. I think they're, the last I looked, they were just south of plus 300, which means you got to lay $100 down to win 300. And I think three to one is insanely low on a team like Alabama. However, that being said, um, I didn't ask you for a, a good odds pick. I asked you for who you thought could beat Georgia and that good answer because – for some reason, Kirby Smart just seems to spit the bit against Alabama. Mm. And, and, and this year is, except for the, maybe when they lost him in the national championship, I thought Georgia was a little bit better than Alabama. This year, I think it's clear that Georgia is better than Alabama. So it's really going to be interesting to see what happens when he finally plays them this year with a team that is, and I, anyone that doesn't think Georgia is clearly better than Alabama hasn't been watching because they're, they're head and shoulders above this year. And I think that's probably closer to a touchdown. But, man, uh, you, you do have to wonder what's going to happen when, when they see those helmets on the other side in a game that really counts. By, by the way, that SEC championship game, if it is Alabama and Georgia, just shapes up to be spectacular. And it just goes to show you the SEC owns so much yes, they of the do. interest in college football. Think about the other games on that day. The Big 12 can have, have Oklahoma. They might have Oklahoma and Oklahoma State for a second straight week, which I guess is somewhat interesting. Oklahoma doesn't hold I, the same kind Iowa of State. Yeah, I, maybe. I, you know, and then the Big Ten is going to have Ohio State favored by two touchdowns against Iowa or Wisconsin or something. So, you know, the, the ACC is going to have my God. Pitt and Wake Forest, like what? Yes. The Pac-12. I mean, come on. The Pac-12 is the Pac-12, and then you've got Alabama, Georgia, where you're going to have two teams. The winner's definitely in the playoff. The loser might still be in the playoff. The Heisman Trophy might be decided because if Bryce Young can beat Georgia, he's going to win the Heisman. And if right. he, if if Georgia roughs him up, then that opens the door for somebody else. Like everything is on that one game that day. The SEC has the rest of the college football world under its thumb again. That's why it ticks me off when the SEC haters um, come out of the woodworks and start making up all these excuses. When Charles Woodson beat Peyton Manning for the Heisman, I almost, I mean, a, a friend of mine who dislikes the Mannings for some unknown, really dumb reason, he lives in New Orleans, born and raised in New Orleans. When 
we were in a bar together watching the Heisman Trophy. The fact that Charles Woodson, a defensive player, defensive players win what? Once every 20 years or something like that? Peyton Manning in his senior year after he got shunned the year before to not win the Heisman was, it was nothing but a SEC bias. Uh, it's like they all ganged up. And there, there's a big SEC bias contingency out there, especially in the media. It's not as prevalent as it was probably 20 years ago. But, uh, I mean, it's out there. And anyone who wants to deny it, you can take, the, you could take Oklahoma and put them in the SEC West, and they'd probably finish third. Well, we'll find out, won't we? We'll find out. That's right. Uh, that's that's I, true. We I, sure will. I don't. I don't know how they'll do the divisions, but it'll it'll be fascinating. I mean, that's just Ohio increases State. even more. Like you put Oklahoma and Texas in this league, there's almost no reason to watch anything else. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating because the, the the Big Ten does have good teams, and occasionally, you know, Clemson will have a good team. Florida State will get off the mat eventually. The Pac-12 eventually will have a good team. But like, you have a than half chance in any given year of the national champion and the Heisman Trophy coming from the same conference, which is insane to say yes. based on what the landscape was even 20 years ago. Question number three. Same question I asked you in the college football, except for I will give you no restrictions in the NFL. Who is going to win the Super Bowl? And I'm not asking for odds. I mean, who? You know, we can go through and pick who might be the best play. This, this I got the Saints at three weeks ago at 40 to 1. So um, I don't know what their odds are now. I'm sure they're Probably around. I think it's 30 to 1. Is it 30 to I lo- 1? I just okay. looked yesterday. It's 30 to okay, 1. Okay, so I got him three weeks ago at 40 to 1 after they, they lost um, to the Giants. But so not odds. Just tell me who, if you had to pick um, a team and everybody was, plus, was minus 100, who would you pick? I think that I would probably go with the Bills. I, th- I still say they're the most well rounded team. Um, they can beat you in so many different ways. They, they have games this year where the defense has won game for them. They have games where the running game has won for them. They have games where Josh Allen has put on a show. Um, they, they've been a little inconsistent, uh, you know, losing to Pittsburgh early in the year, lost the game to the tough Monday night game to Tennessee. Uh, but I, I just feel like I'm, I'm trying to think of a team. You think about what the Bucks did last year where on November 4th, what is today? November second. Nobody would have picked the Bucks last year. I don't think. Um, oh no. Well, but I mean, they got the Tom Brady lovers would have. Maybe, maybe if we're taking odds into account, somebody would have taken a long shot on them. But they wouldn't have been the choice. And so, sure. I, you know, um, by Thanksgiving they were rounding into form, and by the playoff time, they nobody wanted wanted to mess with that team. And the Saints still probably should have beat them if if the turnover battle had been even in that game, but. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the team that can fill that role. And the Bucs certainly are going to have a chance. I mean, the Bucs are, are the next best well-rounded team to Buffalo. And so if I had to choose, I'm going to say Buffalo over Tampa Bay. And, and I'll go one better for you, though. Uh, if, if Sean, it, it's, it's roughly midseason. We're not quite there. But, but if, if I'm giving midseason awards, I'm going Sean Payton for coach of the year. So am I. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you this. I also, and you're going to laugh when I say this because you know I have a relationship with him, but I think my MVP sort of dark horse pick is Derek Carr. We heard the awful news about Henry Ruggs today. Um, yes. uh, DUI, um, the, the person in the other car died. He 
I, I think, you know, this is all trivial at this point because that's such a, a tragedy. Almost certainly will not be playing again this year. Um, but you, you put that or into ever. a, yeah, or ever. I mean, he, he very well could be in prison this time next year. But I, j- just from a short-term perspective, it's not going to play again this year. Put that in a basket with the other injuries the Raiders have had with losing their head coach six weeks into the season, which is unprecedented. And if Derek Carr keeps putting up the numbers he is where they had their bye week last week, so it's been skewed a little bit, but he was number two in the NFL in passing yards, like 10 yards behind Tom Brady. If he continues to carry that team into the playoffs, I, I don't see, yeah, you can make a really, really, really strong argument that he's the MVP. So if we're looking for us, you know, besides the obvious picks of a Brady or a Dak Prescott, I, I would say, I would say Derek has a chance at it. I will say this about Derek Carr. If the Raiders go on and uh, win that division, no one can question that he was the glue of that team going through what they're going through. And again, we're, you talk about stuff that's trivial uh, in the grand scheme of life, um, you know, between the, the idiocy of John Gruden and now Henry Ruggs' obvious uh, just mistake that's going to cost them um, in more ways than one and, and obviously cost the life of someone else. But um, yeah. You we'll know, see how it, they react to that. Maybe I'm speaking too soon, Jim. I don't like. I, I don't. You know, I think may, that's a, maybe they will fall apart. But I, it just they seems didn't fall to me, apart again, when Gruden left, and I thought they would. Right. And 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 he he's been the glue. And you know he got, he caught a lot of flack actually for kind of I wouldn't say standing up for Gruden, but but had wasn't one of these guys that that piled on uh, whatever because he and Gruden obviously are very tight. I think they live close to each other or as well their neighbors as well and he obviously uh gruden was kind of a father figure to him so he stood up for him and uh you know what no one rebelled against him it shows you how much respect he has in that locker room derek is uh, again and i have a, a not so much anymore but i have a personal relationship with him and so i do have some bias here but i also have some insight it was the same way when jack del rio was fired he does yeah. it's the same way uh with the carl nassib story for instance not that I really consider that a distraction, but Derek, he likes to toe the line between, I don't want to make anybody angry, but he, he somehow pulls it off actually without making anybody angry. Yeah. And people seem to like it. Well, you know, you want, you're looking for a, a dog horse who was in the same situation as Tampa Bay last year. The difference is they don't know, we don't know who's going to play quarterback the rest of the year, but, and I'm trying not to be a homer, but I'm just being realistic, but, Anyone who counts the Saints out at this point is is silly. Um, now I think that that being said, and we'll talk about it on uh, on the show on Thursday on at the book. But uh, I think this is a tough spot for the Saints this week. But I, I if you count Sean Payton out, um, you're 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 being silly in my opinion. But we'll uh, see. Uh, real quick before we go, I'll, I'll say this about the Saints. Somebody made the point this morning. I can't remember who. The Bears made a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman at quarterback. That's right. The Ravens won a Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer at quarterback. Like, you can win the Super Bowl without an elite quarterback. It's much more difficult. But if you're going to do it, it's a team like the Saints. The one thing I'll say about the Saints is the NFC is so, so, so tough this year. I mean, it is. the Cowboys, the Bucks, the Rams. The Rams. The, the, Rams, are still, the Rams are still like, the toughest team in the NFC. But uh, So their road is just going to be super difficult. But... Uh, the other thing I saw this morning, I think Amy Just, one of our Saints beat writers, tweeted it out. The Bengals-Jets game had like six former Saints in it. Thomas Morstead, Trey Hendrickson, Sheldon Rankins, uh, 
Eli Apple, I'm missing somebody. There was somebody else in there too, but they all took a picture after the game as former Saints and like really traded jerseys and stuff. I mean, it was almost like they had been, had gone to the same college. That's Where insane. else in the NFL is that kind of culture? It's different I mean, I, here, I man. Think, <laughs> yeah, because different. I, I'm still a little bit of an outsider. Like I moved here four and a half years, four years ago. It, you don't realize what a insanely good culture Sean Payton has built. And a lot of people looked at their success the last few years and said, well, they have Drew Brees. Of course they're good. Well, people want to come back here. Look at Mark Ingram. I was Mark say. Ingram was in tears when he came out of the tunnel on Sunday because it meant so much to him to be back. Is he going to be a superstar here? No, he's not. He's going to get five carries a game. But he just wanted to be back in this locker room. And it's, it's hard to put. We talk about betting and analytics. It's really, really difficult to put a value on that. But you have a team full of guys who are who are totally bought in, and I think there's you know, I'm not again the same. I I really think the Saints' road is too tough to say that they can do it. If they were in the AFC, I'd like them a lot better because I think they're better than just about anybody besides Buffalo and maybe Kansas right. City. But you know, they they will have a chance because of that factor. I'll I'll take them at forty to one. I mean, do I think they're going to win a Super Bowl? Nope. But I think if you played this whole season out on some weird plane with these people and uh, and Peyton and were able to run it 40 times, I think they'd win it at least once and probably more than once. But uh, I agree with you. It's a tough road. Zach Ewan, thank you for joining the Datitude Podcast. We will see you uh, at the book and uh, literally at the book next Thursday. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, Jim. Zach, uh, you know, he has uh, done a really good job in taking this role on. I mean, I, I've i spent uh, quite a few years as a manager in this business, and you think it's all fun and games as sports betting director, but being a manager in this business is, is not, it's not always fun and games. Don't get me wrong. There are perks. You get to do things that other people don't get to do. Uh, you get to see things first, but it is, it is tough. It's a tough business being being a manager, especially in our journalism world of these days. So thanks, Zach, for, uh, for joining us. And we are looking forward to the Sports Betting 101 show next Thursday. Look, that's about uh, – we've gone well past our time today. But before I let you go, I do want to let it be known that uh, while we were doing this show to, today, it's come out that it looks like Aaron Rodgers uh, has COVID. Uh, we mentioned it, I think, in um, – we mentioned it briefly when I had on David Grubb, but uh, looks like he's not going to play this Sunday. So I'm glad, uh, you know, when you go to those my NFL picks column, which is out this morning, uh, it it it's gonna it's not going to reflect that. Although I may go back in there and put a note. So uh, weird week. I didn't uh, touch the Raiders Giants game either because of the issue with with Henry Ruggs, now former Raiders re- receiver Henry Ruggs, who has been released from the team after. Uh, being involved in a DUI crash that took someone's life. Um, so I, I first time I think ever that I've been doing this column, I started in 2014, took two years off in 19 and 20 and started to back up. I think it's the first time I've ever not picked a game. Um, and I just didn't think it was, it was prudent. Um, so, but uh, if you go in there, it's going to be a weird week of, of NFL picks and we're going to get to those on Friday when we have Conductor Dave back on and Uncle Big Nick with our five-star Friday. I didn't do so hot with Conductor Dave. In fact, 
it was beyond not so hot. But my five-star picks with Uncle Big Nick were outstanding again two weeks in a row now. Uh, maybe I have a little bit more motivation to kick Uncle Big Nick in the keister. I don't, I don't know. But whatever it is, I got to get that fire for Conductor Dave because him and his color scheme are kicking my tail. But uh, we're going to figure that out. We'll have all of our picks and try to help you navigate this sports betting world that we are now living in. And you can go make your own bets at Harris or Boomtown or drive out to LaBerge and Baton Rouge or go out to southwest Louisiana, wherever you want to go. You can bet now in Louisiana. You don't have to go to Mississippi anymore. And soon you'll be able to do it from the comfort of your own home. Don't forget about all of our shows on bet.nola.com on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And then again, don't forget to, if you haven't subscribed to Datitude already, if you do that, you'll find out uh, when a new show comes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Don't forget, uh, if you want to be a part of this show, you can email me at Jim Derry Jr. Why do I keep doing that? At Jim Derry at theadvocate.com or at Jim Derry Jr. on Twitter. You got it? Obviously, I don't. But go and find me if you want to email me or uh, tweet at me, and we'll get your comment or question on the show. Again, Friday coming up, Conductor Dave and Uncle Big Nick, and I will see you then. Enjoy this beautiful weather. Peace and love, my friends. Yeah.